Welcome to the Getting Closer to the Cloud podcast. We are Microsoft technologists here to help you raise your rhythm of technical intensity and climb the cloud maturity curve. In each episode, we will talk about the latest and most interesting developments in the Microsoft Cloud and perform deep dives into topics of interest. Hello, I'm Shane Baldacino, and this is episode five of the Getting Closer to the Cloud podcast. And joining me today, I have a new co-host. It is developer evangelist extraordinaire, Michelle Sanford. Now, before I ask Michelle to introduce herself, I'll tell you a story. Before I joined Microsoft, my feeds, you know, hardly had any Microsoft content on them. But funnily enough, regardless of that, it was Michelle who was able to infiltrate my feed And I really liked the brand she was delivering to the point I reached out to her even before I joined Microsoft to get to know her more. Her reputation precedes her. Perhaps you may know her, but regardless, hello world, Michelle. Hey, Shane. I'm really glad to be here. We've been looking for an excuse to collaborate on something since you started, and here we are making it real. Yeah, absolutely. And look, moving forward, we're going to hear a lot more from Michelle because, look, we're all busy. And in order to ensure we're able to scale and deliver these episodes in a more regular cadence that our listeners expect, we need to bring some muscle. And I couldn't think of a better person than adding Michelle to the team here with Pete and I. So providing I don't scare her off today, uh, from me to you, a big thank you and welcome to the party. And I hope you have your dance shoes. (laughs) You do not want to see me dance, let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Um, Look, tradition in this show... um, you know, I'd love to know what have you built of late? We're all builders here. It could be Azure. It could be technology in general. Oh, well, I suppose the thing that I've been building a lot recently is the static web app um, with custom vision and machine learning that I use in my current um, conference presentations. It's a progressive web app that looks at a picture of a furry creature and tells you if it's an Ewok or a Shih Tzu. (laughs) (laughs) You're laughing, but you need to know that this is a life or death scenario, Shane. If you wake up in the middle of the night and there's those little beady eyes looking at you and it's a Shih Tzu, that's fine. Worst case scenario, they will snuggle you to death. But if it's an Ewok, they'll be roasting you over an open fire before you know it. <laughs> how, how interesting. Um, <laughs> amazing. But I think it's a really good use of, of technology. You know, static web apps are becoming fast, becoming the new more norm. Computer vision, if organizations aren't using machine learning today, it's probably something that they want to be using. So Awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool because you can build the whole app and train the model with the custom vision within uh, within an hour. It also has, you know, CICD using GitHub Actions, all of that within one hour, which kind of shows people that it's super, super easy to get started with Microsoft Azure, building static web apps and integrating AI in, in that. So, yeah, it's cool. Brilliant. So listeners, you may have assumed, you know, given this time of year, this would be an Ignite themed session. And look, we will get to that. But after brainstorming what to talk about for this episode, we thought long and hard about who our listeners are of this show. Now, the stats tell us some things from our podcasting platform. We can derive, you know, your location, your geography through to the device type, but it doesn't tell us everything. And from the feedback that we're getting from our listeners, gctc at microsoft.com, We know you're builders. 
So today, I want us to have a bit of a conversation with Michelle, something a little bit less in you know tech depth, but more breadth that is equally as practical. So I want to set the scene here. You're kind of good at this tech thing and you want to get into this presenting caper. How do you do it? You know, Are you just a natural? I've seen a lot of Michelle's presentations and it appears she is. But I also think that would be downplaying a lot of the hard work that goes into making it look easy, you know, for her dancing on stage with her dance shoes. <laughs> uh, can I just check? You, know, you do do prep, right, Michelle? Otherwise, what I've just said could be embarrassing for myself. <laughs> I think it was embarrassing anyway, Shane. <laughs> 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 yeah, I do prep. And I think part of where this podcast has come from is because before I went off on my, my most recent tour, you and I were talking a lot about the prep we were doing. You were going to NDC Sydney and I had NDC Oslo and we were comparing notes around how we prep, what, what the setup's going to be, uh, how we kind of psych ourselves up, what we should be thinking about, um, demos, live, live or not all of that um and yeah we just we talked for so long that we thought this would make a good episode i think so i think between us here we've probably delivered content to well over a hundred thousand people in person and hopefully i would like to think we've picked up a trick or two along the way so in this episode of getting closer to the cloud michelle and i are going to play a bit of ping pong we're going to ask each other questions back and forward and talk through the mechanics of how to deliver, in our personal opinion, a cracking presentation. What do you think, Michelle? Yes, I think uh, it's it's something that a lot of people have been asking me about, not just at conferences and meetups, but just generally. I think people recognize that in order to accelerate their careers, they need to um, they need to create some sort of personal brand and they need to invest in maybe learning a little bit of how to do public speaking or how to at least establish some credibility in their field. And so this will definitely help them. Let's hope so. So look, let's get the ball rolling here. You just spoke about NDC Oslo. What have you presented of late? <laughs> uh, so at Oslo, which, well, at all the NDCs, um, they... I have been doing a presentation called uh, The Modern Trolley Problem, where I talk about responsible AI principles. And I talk about uh, it in the context of the trolley problem. Have, have you heard of that, Shane? I haven't. No, tell us, our, tell us and our listeners more about The Modern Trolley Problem. <laughs> so the trolley problem is a philosophical thought experiment. And if you've ever watched The Good Place, they they revealed it very well in that in, in one of their episodes. Um, imagine you are near some train tracks and that you suddenly see there are five people that have been tied to the tracks by a kidnapper. You are standing next to that um that switch uh, socket and you could pull that switch and move the train to the other tracks where it would only hit one person who is a railway worker who has been um, legitimately uh, assigned to do his work on those tracks. Do you pull that lever? lever? Ooh, what a question. <laughs> you have to answer it before I can move on. Would you pull it? Would you <laughs> switch it to the one? railway worker or would you leave it on the five people tied to the tracks i think i'd have to go for that poor one railway worker 
<laughs> so in that scenario, you are actively killing that one railway worker. <laughs> Whereas if you didn't do anything, um, it would just, you know, from you not doing anything, kill the other ones. But in this case, you are, you have actively made yourself the murderer. <laughs> still want to reconsider or is that still your choice? What a dilemma. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, anyway, there are a lot of scenario, a lot of ways that this can mix. And obviously in that simple scenario you're looking at, is this uh, the greatest happiness of the greatest number or is it um, ends justified means? Um, and there are a lot of different scenarios. And in the modern context, I'm talking about autonomous vehicles, of course. And how do we program those autonomous vehicles? Is the morality and the ethics in the code? Or is that something that comes later on? So, yeah, that's my uh, <laughs> that's my NDC one. And the, the, it, it has to be adapted country to country because in Norway, they are they are very reserved. They are very humble people. And um, my gallows humor is something I had to rein in quite a bit so I wouldn't get in any trouble with them. <laughs> but in Melbourne, it's fine to, you know, be as, <laughs> be as scandalous as I like to be. So it's interesting that you say that about reading the room and adopting the session accordingly. And maybe we'll just get to that. But how do you plan for a session like that? You know, how do you build a session? Do you, I'm going to talk about AI and you go from there or, you know, I like to build a storyboard. Uh, I seek some validation. How do you go about planning a session that you're going to deliver a talk on? Mm, I, I think that I always start with a, what do I have that could be built? And that will sort of spark people's interest in moving on from there and sort of building it out and making it more complex and doing more with it. So I generally am looking for stuff that can be built within an hour. And then, um, then once I have the thing that I'm going to build, I then look at what are the, you know, what are the different things that you want to, um, consider around it, what makes it an interesting story. So with the Iwako Shitsu one, you know, there is a whole story about, <laughs> about how an app can save your life, about uh, Star Wars, about, um, my little Shih Tzus who are adorable and also naughty. Um, with the modern trolley problem one, well, yes, you see there's a whole bunch of philosophical scenarios before we even get to the technology involved in autonomous vehicles. And there's also, you know, cultural and legal and country uh, things that need to be taken into account. So, yeah, I guess I always start with the build. What can be built within an hour that will spark interest? And then from there. What about you? Well, how about me? Well, I'll get to that, but you know, we're talking about built within an hour, built within an hour on stage, or built within an hour in total. But well, <laughs> I would. So I would always like if I've got a session, I'm going to yeah. do it multiple times. I'm not just going to do it at one conference. And so if I'm doing it at multiple places, I need several different versions of it. So one case is the live coding version where I'm going to code it end to end on stage within the hour. So yes, it needs to be built end to end within the hour, possibly. Um, then 
the different versions of it would be you might do a high level one with much more storyline and less building on stage you might have some recorded demos within that that you show them how it works you might have some screenshots of the code showing them some things um then you might have like a short version some people want a 20 minute or uh, you know, a lightning talk version of your thing. So, you know, it, it's it's very interesting how much you can do mm. with content. But yes, build end-to-end in an hour is the goal for me always. Interesting. So look, for me, I usually start with a storyboard. I'd like to think, you know, is it relatable? Will the majority of the audience be able to relate to what I'm talking about? You know, are they using this technology uh, is this something that they deal with in their day-to-day lives? This is a problem that is faced by many here. And look, once I've clearly articulated to myself what the story I'm trying to tell is, you know, the, the you know, defining the problem, you know, this is the current impact or the, the issue today, what good looks like. And then I kind of like title back up at the end to tell the audience what I've told them and just to, you know, I say repeat the fact, but you know, tie it all back in together. But I usually start with the story. And then once I got the story clear, that's when I get into, you know, how am I going to build this? What technology will I choose? Will I do a live demonstration? Will I not do a live demonstration? I don't know about you, but I can struggle sometimes to type and talk at the same time. So, yep, the same. So, you know, I'll often either use a demo person where I'll have a, you know, I'll invite someone up on stage with me to drive a computer, keyboard and mouse, do the clicky clicky stuff, and I will talk to that, or I will maybe even pre-record. Sometimes I'll do live demos, but yeah, it's interesting just being able to practice, you know, being able to talk, zooming in. We often see people like Scott Hanselman showing, you know, practicing, you know, zooming in and zooming out. It all takes time, and you do need to practice this for your sessions here you know what just when you were talking about that having someone on stage with you to do your demo with you um we were just having a call before this where we were talking about um inclusion and um i said one of the ways that i seek to help people around me especially early in career people is i will uh invite them as a co-presenter on one of my you know when i submit to a conference or a talk so it's a really good way to start early in career people on their conference journey by bringing them with you as a more senior presenter and you know doing doing the demo for you would yeah would be a really great way for you to bring bring those people along so it's not even like you've got to you're you're asking them to be a little lucky for you it's it's that you're you're bringing them they get to do a demo on stage maybe you'll have a little banter and it'll be their first conference experience and it'll be really cool for them you know i'm feverishly nodding my head. Obviously, you can't see this. Absolutely 100% agree. And if you are trying to, you know, talk at that next big event or perhaps even a you know, local meetup, etc., being able to shadow and spend time with someone a lot more tenured who's done this a number of times is going to help you, you know, become more familiar to understand the, the whole process and so on here <laughs> it's been really successful for one of my well a few of my early in career um 
Aspires, we call them in Microsoft. So uh, Gia, she submitted with me to do a data science talk at DDD Perth last year. And then this year, she's getting picked up on all her own conference talks. She she spoke at DDD Perth and I did not get picked up. <laughs> and she spoke at NDC Oslo, just like me, but she had her own session, nothing to do with me. And uh, yeah, she's just uh, the, the student surpasses the master, I'd say. Fantastic. Passing the baton on. So how do you know if you've delivered this session and it was on point? Mm, That's such a good question because um, there are always some people that will come up after your talk and say they loved it and talk to you about it and, you know, spend quite a while. And obviously I love that. That's really nice. And it helps me calm down after the session. Um, And but yeah, I don't know, like different conferences have different um, feedback forms, perhaps. So at NDC, they only have you put like a little colored thing in the bowl. So it's green, mm. yellow or red, which I don't think is super useful for us as speakers, because say, say you've got, you know, 50 red and 50 green. What do you, what do, you do with that? You know that, that 50 of them didn't like it, but 50 of them loved it. What do you, what was the thing that they didn't like? You you don't really have a way to to get that. Um, I guess I kind of now like asking questions as I go. So like you know, shouting out to the room and seeing if people have got some questions they want to you know they want to get involved as you're going. You can't do that if you're doing a a live code build in 60 minutes because you won't get it done with all the the back and forth and it will throw you off the track. But if you have recorded everything, then you might. Um, Yeah, I don't know. What do you do? A lot of conferences may use things like CSATs, customer satisfactory scores afterward, you know, based on a feedback form, etc. Look, it is hard to say. Sometimes people will say, hey, this is the best session I've ever seen. And then you might get some feedback. That was the worst as well. And they could be counter. For me, it is my barometer is often, you know, seeing people taking pictures, Twitter posts, etc. Uh, feedback is always good. I think that's probably the, the majority here. But for me, right, it's the synopsis versus your content. One of my pet peeves is there's this unwritten contract I think we all have when you are presenting that what you will talk about is what, was printed on you know description for your session mm-hmm. deviate from that and i think you're entitled to get a really bad horrible uh feedback score post after the session because you haven't been true to what you were planning to talk about do you have that in front of you when you're crafting your session is it you know like really front of mind so that you make sure you don't deviate Absolutely. So I will often grab the, you know, three-line synopsis that was submitted or given for this talk, and I will have that in my deck notes on slide one here, just to keep me honest when I'm crafting this. And then once I have, you know, finished generating my story or this and that, I will ask myself, you know, am I being true to that synopsis here? Because if I'm not, then I need to modify my content accordingly or... And if it's not too late, modify the synopsis. But, you know, by and large, yeah, absolutely, Michelle. <laughs> I'm just going to throw something at you here. It's not on the Go for it. Um, what was the worst session you ever delivered? Have you ever had a disaster on stage? 
I wouldn't say I've ever had a disaster on stage, but I've had to <laughs> dance on stage. I was having a chat with Michelle earlier and I was saying to her, not a, not a voice chat, uh, you know, an online chat here, saying, you know, one of those sessions I had was delivering once I had a roving mic, uh, rov- a roving cameraman on stage. I had four Raspberry Pis all connecting to the internet and, you know, what could go wrong? And yeah, you know, something did go wrong after delivering this session quite a few times. Something in the cloud failed and, you know, had to dance and pivot accordingly. But I think that comes back to being prepared and understanding how your technology can fail multiple times. In this scenario here, I wasn't going to switch to backup devices, but I had coded in this Node.js front end. If you click on the screen in a certain spot, it would mock out the end result that I was looking for anyway. So it's about kind of like preempting all the possible things that could go wrong and trying to deal with them accordingly. Look, the audience does not know what's happening here. You know, I think there's a bit of magic in a lot of presentations that you watch here because it needs to be, because sometimes things just don't go to plan, unfortunately. <laughs> that Ewok um, PWA that I build, like I, I built it, I don't know, one day I built it about 20 times and every time I built it, something different would happen. And it shouldn't be the case because it should be exactly the same code. It should be exactly the same stuff happening. But yeah, the, our world is so complex that... Uh, yeah, I, I think that the, <laughs> I think that, well, not co-pilot, but I think it was auto-correcting what I was doing. Co-pilot is, is actually even more critical of my, of my work. Have you tried that, Shane? I have. It's pretty good. <laughs> See, I'll bet your code is cleaner than mine. It's very critical of my coding. It's always trying to replace it with other stuff. <laughs> I think we're all going to be replaced at some stage. <laughs> I was uh, watching something recently with Codex and gone, wow, just you know, deviating a little bit here. But in the demonstration, there was a you know paragraph description of the problem. Codex understood the problem. It then generated the code, realized its code was wrong, debugged itself, did another test. It was wrong, then debugged itself again and solve the problem i was like mind blown here (laughs) the the robots are they're coming i'm okay with it because you know when i don't use a robot i i ask gia or one of the other early in career people whose eyes are keener and brains are sharper (laughs) have a look at my code so if it's if it's not her then it's a robot that's fine with me it's you've you've always got to have some other set of eyes on your code okay so before you jump on stage or deliver an, a presentation somewhere, do you practice? What do you do? How do you prep yourself? Oh, wow. Do you just build this content, Michelle? Do you just go and deliver it? <laughs> yeah, kind of. In that there is a big difference, I think, between what I do and what Gia does. So I watched her deliver like practice that session like a million times and she delivered it to her peers she delivered it to her friends she delivered it to her mum you know she she practiced it so many times delivering it to so many different people and getting their feedback and incorporating that feedback 
I, I'm kind of shy about my content before I've delivered it the first time. I don't know about you, but I, I it makes me a bit, um, it makes me nervous to deliver it that first time and get the, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like ducking down with her. Is, is it terrible? Are you going to tell me to start from scratch when I've spent so many hours on this? So yeah, I would say that I don't present it in front of other people as much as I could. And I think it would help me if I did, but I do practice it a bunch of times and I try and get, you know, like in the Microsoft office, there's a big, there'll be a big room. I'll try and get that big room and stand in the big room and stand there presenting it to the empty room, looking at all the chairs um as a, a way to sort of you know judge whether this is really how it's going to be in real life i don't know what, what do you do shane well i'm probably more like gia in a lot of ways here look i practice uh usually before if it is a major event i will practice i'll probably run through the presentation anywhere between five to 15 times end to end usually the days beforehand i will stick this is a funny uh this is a shanism here i put my laptop on the floor with it facing up towards me here to kind of emulate the fallback monitor of you know when you're delivering a presentation so often when you deliver a presentation at an event there may be a fallback monitor at the bottom of the stage that may show the current slide that you're presenting. It may show speaker notes, but I will then present as if I'm presenting with a, with a PowerPoint clicker, uh, as if I'm presenting for the real deal, just to you know bring myself um, up to speed here, how it all sounds. I will time my presentations because presenting for, if you've got a 30 minute presentation, presenting for 32 minutes may not be acceptable. So will presenting for 27 minutes may not be acceptable. So ensuring that, you know, that I'm on time. So I will time my session multiple times just to ensure. But yeah, I, I do practice. There is, to me, no compression algorithm for practice and rehearsal. I need to, you know, understand on when I'm looking at a slide, what are the key points that I need to deliver? And that only comes with a little bit of practice. That said... The more that you do this, the quicker it takes to get to that point, if that makes sense. So I practice less these days, but yeah, I still practice. And are you writing a full script on your speaker notes or are you just putting points on there or less? How interesting. What a great question that you've asked here. I've been brought up in a world prior to joining Microsoft where speaker notes were not ever provided. And because speaker notes were not provided, it's imperative that you actually know, you know, you can look at a picture and go, Hey, I need to deliver X, Y, Z. These days I use them where I can, but I don't depend on them. You know, a few bullet points to understand what I need to deliver. If you're going to be reading off speaker notes, you know, the audience will be able to tell, you know, how do you bring that a bit of emotion that, you know, bringing them along the journey here. So look, it is, I think they're a blessing and a curse in some ways. What about you, Michelle? <clears throat> There's so many ways to answer that. <laughs> 
because in, in fact, it depends on the conference. So if, if you're doing an online conference where it's 100% virtual and you can do it from home where you've got your full setup there, then I could absolutely read my speaker notes, do my code demo, demos live and have everything within my control and make it all work well. But if it's an in-person conference, now, I would have at some point had a full script because how I would have prepped the talk would be I would start with 20 slides, um, each of them a different uh, topic uh, sentence. Um, I would have put pictures on them, though. So it, it wouldn't be that there would be a sentence on each one. Each slide would be a different picture to try and uh, kind of inspire me on, on the path. And then I would then I would write out the whole script for the whole presentation. Then from there, I would start cutting it down after I've got the timings and the, the story in there. And so the goal is by the time I present it, in the speaker notes, all I've got is bullet points. Um, but it is really hard for me. If I have written a really good script, it's really hard for me to delete that script and just leave the bullet points there because I really want to use the exact wording that I've written because it was beautiful. <laughs> absolutely. I like how you clarify that because presenting online, absolutely. I will often have, I've got two screens in front of me here and on my primary screen with my camera here, I will have PowerPoint or whatever I'm using in presenter mode where I can just see the notes and I will have those notes as high and close to the camera as possible. And I'll have the presentation on the other screen here. Absolutely applicable to be able to just read, you know, you can make it your own, etc. But yeah, having verbose notes in there, I don't see an issue with, I think everyone's different, Michelle. And you will find your own way. I think what works for some people may not work for others. And when but, they are in their journey, yeah. of course. So, you know, if they're just starting out, they perhaps need more notes than they need when they're 20 years in, like like us older people. Yeah. <laughs> but I think also it depends how well you know your content as well. Mm -hmm. I get nervous when I go on stage if I don't exactly know what I'm talking about. And, yes, you know, there are times where I'm on stage and I don't know – 100% what I'm talking about either. I've had not enough time to prep. Um, I'm just not a subject matter expert in this area. And having those notes, that, you know, that extra bit of confidence does help you here. But I get nervous when I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's true for everyone. But then, you know, <clears throat> yeah, I, I guess I think one of the the most interesting lessons I learned recently was um, I was watching Lars Klint at a Tekarama in Belgium. And Lars was talking about a topic he didn't know well at all. It was a brand new feature that had come out recently on uh, Azure Cognitive Services um, using um, language translation. So it was a really cool thing that he'd been playing with and he'd written a session about it and was showcasing what he had learned. But Lars loves audience interaction. So all the way through, he was encouraging the audience to shout out questions to him. And he did not know <laughs> any of the answers to any of the questions, but it, it didn't put him off at all. I would have been crying. I would have been wetting my pants with fear at not knowing any of those answers. But he, he was just loving it. He was just laughing. He'd write down the questions. He'd say, it's a new product, a new feature. 
Uh, I don't know that yet. I haven't come across it when I was building this session, but I'll look it up and I'll I'll come back to you all, you know, in a, in a blog post or something like that. And when I spoke to him afterwards, I was like, Lars, why would you encourage them to ask you questions when you don't know the answers? And he said, oh, no, it's this is great. This is great. This means we're learning together. Um, we're discovering things together. We know what's interesting. We know what they want to do. And we will, um, I will take those questions. I've written them all down and I will use those as the basis for another presentation that I'll deliver next time. And I just thought, wow, that's, yeah, was, <laughs> I used to be so afraid of questions, uh, definitely earlier on in my speaking career. And now I'm less afraid of them and I do enjoy them more. But Lars really showed me that, yeah, there is no need to be afraid at all. The audience is not your enemy. They are your community. And yeah, why not involve them in that learning journey? Yeah, he's uh, taken it to another level. I think the interesting part on questions it can be delicate depending on where you are presenting and whether or not you know from your organization you're authorized or not to take those questions <laughs> so that can be it can be a double-edged sword depending on where you are presenting <laughs> i really like to work under the uh, uh ask for forgiveness later rather than permission earlier on the <laughs> Because, yeah, if people have to authorize your, your sessions, I think you, you find you very rarely present anything or anything uh, cutting edge. Indeed. Hey, um, you spoke about <coughs> verbose speaker notes before, and I think this leads into another area I'd love to talk about. You've spent, let's just say, 20, 30, 40 hours building this amazing session, you know, your Ewok session as an example. What do you do with it once you're done? You know, do you, how do you scale your content? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that that's a really great thing because, yeah, initially I had always assumed that people wrote their conference sessions and they delivered it once and they were done and that was it. And it seems like an awful lot of work to go to in order, in order for that. But in fact, um, some... As I've been watching what other people do, there is so much more you can do with your sessions. So most people will, as a standard, publish their slide deck to a, a slide deck site like um, Slide Deck or SlideShare. Yes, I, I use Speaker Deck. Um, then they will also write a blog post about it where they will go into a lot more detail and provide a lot more links to enable people to build what they've built, but more to go further, to go deeper, to uh, integrate different APIs in, for example. Um, then they might, they might do a video. So they, they might, um, I mean, you might have a recording from the conference, but if not, they will make their own video for YouTube. Um, or maybe they'll do a tutorial on it. And if you do it via Twitch or something, then you can have, you know, interaction from your, your community while you're uh, teaching them how to build what you've built. Um, you could, yeah. And as I say, you can convert it into various formats. The, the lightning talk, which is five minutes, the 20 minute talk, the, you know, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot. Yep. There's a lot. Um, do you, do you always do all of that stuff, Shane? I do most of those. Look, it's about scaling your content. You're making an investment. You are spending tens of hours. It could be it could be a hundred hours. I think for one of my sessions once I spent a hundred hours creating content for this. It was a 
multi-part SQL injection, you know, takeover of something. And it look, it takes time to figure things out. You want to get return from that investment. You know, turn it into a blog post. If you have verbose speaker notes, it's really easy. Right? You've got the pictures from your deck that you may be able to use. Turn it into a, a session, uh, you know, a series of things. It's about scaling your impact and ensuring that you're building your brand, you are, and you're being able to, you know, get that return again from from the investment in time that you have spent creating that session. So, absolutely, early on in my career, I was probably a little bit naive, like yourself. I thought, hey, you just create this content, and it's going to be awesome, and that's it. But if you are spending hours and hours and hours and hours and hours, and you are talking to anywhere from, I would say, if you are speaking to less than a thousand people. It's a lot of time and effort for something that's maybe used just once. So you have to scale. Well, um, yeah. And where they say if something's on the internet, it's on the internet forever. It kind of the reverse applies as well in that not every conference records your sessions. And if they don't record your session and you haven't written posts about it, then a week after you've done your session, it's as if it never occurred. There was- there is literally nothing left of it. And so, yeah, I think the first thing I do after coming out of a session is write a post where I will, you know, have have a picture of myself on the stage delivering that session, which I, I love. I love it when, you know, people <laughs> tweeted that from the state of me on the stage or something, you know, so I can grab one of those pictures, write a LinkedIn post and then share maybe like key three learnings in a LinkedIn post and then link it back to some sort of um, Microsoft learning path or something so that they can take the journey forward in in future. Um, And yeah, it also, it isn't just uh, evidence of what you've done and a way to like keep it going. It it is also, it helps me remember all of those things because yeah, I have like a five second memory these days. I, I literally just use my cache memory 100% of the time. <laughs> that uh, L2, L3 cache needs to be bigger. Um, what about tech at conferences? You know, what do you bring with you when you are presenting on stage do you have like a set kit bag of, you know, tips and tricks or toys that you bring with you to ensure that you're able to connect to the the house AV if it's not an event where you have to submit your content up beforehand? Like what do you bring with you? <laughs> um, <clears throat> the cloud <laughs> and a USB stick. So, yeah, I guess I, I make the presentation and I make the presentation so that it is all, everything can be done from there. So I record, these days I record all the demos. So even if I intend to do a demo live on stage, I would have a recording just in case. Um, then, so if everything is there and there's a copy in the cloud, then all I need is yeah, a USB stick with a copy on in case the laptop fails. Um, otherwise, if the laptop is okay, I just have that USB to, um, no, not USB. What is it? The, um, the HDMI to uh, USB-C converter to plug it into the thing. That's all. Oh, maybe a clicker, maybe a uh, Surface Pen because you can use a Surface Pen to click through as well. So, yeah, not not much these days. Look, I probably take a little <laughs> bit more with me, but this week or 
The other week I was presenting and my device, I plugged it in and it detected a external display, but I got a black screen. So the question I would ask all of our <laughs> listeners here is, you know, how prepared are you? How much time are you leaving in preparation? And this could be at an event or it could be you've walked into a, you know, a corporate office, etc. If you have the ability to test out the, you know, the house AV beforehand, absolutely do so. Look, these days I carry everything from multiple USB-C to HDMI, DVI, you know, lots of dongles to connect to this and to connect to that. <laughs> I'll carry with me a HDMI cable, uh, USB sticks, a clicker, uh, depending. Sometimes I'll even bring my own router. I carry a, a pocket router with me, one of those things where I can grab a Wi-Fi signal and convert it into Ethernet. I think just be prepared and you know, expect the unexpected here. Wow, it really sounds like you do expect the worst. I've I've seen speakers, so um, our GitHub friends at, at the conference I was at with them, one of their laptops failed and the other one lent them their laptop. And that was interesting because one was an Apple and one was a, a Windows one. Um, so, it, you know, that, that takes some getting used to, I guess, when you're flipping between operating systems. Um, what else? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I would just ask the other speakers if I'd forgotten stuff. I would ask the other speakers and, and generally people are pretty, pretty helpful these days. They generally um, are. Yeah. How about um, you know, if you're presenting to <laughs> 10 people or you're presenting to a thousand people, does it, you know, is it different? For me, sometimes when being on stage, the lights are blinding and you can't see past yeah. the first five rows anyhow, but does it impact you differently? <laughs> the, the 10 people is much more difficult than the 1,000 people, for sure. Uh, because as you say, you can't, you can't see a big crowd. You really can't. Whereas the 10 people, when there's 10, or my worst ever presentation had six people in, and because there were six... They feel like they can interrupt you at any point and they feel like they can make it all about them. So there was one woman in the room who really hijacked the whole thing and made it all about her. And it, it was, it was just a disaster because she'd, she'd been made redundant the week before. And so she, she kept like bursting into tears. And, and I was so young then. I was just like, Oh, how do you, how do you deal with this scenario? Whereas that never happens when you've got a thousand in the room. The number of times I have been swarmed by the mob is, uh, it's never. I'm sure there has been. <laughs> what is the weirdest place that you've presented at? The weirdest presenting scenario? Oh, yeah, I think you're going to have to tell me your one first while I think about that. Okay, so have you ever presented in a silent disco before? <laughs> and what I mean by a silent disco is presenting in an area in a massive shared space, you know, 2,000 people in a room, multiple presenters in the same room, and people have headphones on tuned into a specific you know, FM frequency. They can hear you. But it's really hard to engage with the audience because you can't hear the laughter. It's just, you know, it's all silent here. Uh -huh. So that's been my weirdest presenting scenario. Did that jig your, rejig your memory? They, they do that at NDC Oslo, but not that you'd know it. 
in that that's the overflow scenario. So you're all in your own rooms presenting to an audience, but there is a massive overflow room where they can collect um, headphones and then they can tune into whichever session they couldn't get into. So, yeah, I have seen that, but I have not um, felt like that was the thing because we still had an audience in front of us. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I think... I think when you are presenting to an audience that is not your community, so for example, um, I've done a lot of stuff for ACS because I was the chairman in WA and a lot of the, the members there would be, you know, CIOs who were older, older generation than, than yeah, a lot of my, my general community. And so trying to trying to speak to them at the same time as trying to um, put out stuff that is also interesting to a much younger generation. I think that that's awkward. That's weird. That's difficult. And, you know, it's hard to judge. Yeah. Are you relatable? Is your message on point? <laughs> um, you know, those TikToks may not have worked in that scenario. Though. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I said that to someone last week. I said, Generation X, we are there on, on TikTok, but the, the older ones are not on there. But then I remembered that's not true. There are a bunch of uh, grumpy old ladies on there that swear a lot, which are, are quite hilarious. So, yes, you can definitely find your audience on whatever platform you like if you, um, yeah, let your, let your true voice out, I guess. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> What about some advice, Michelle, to people? How do they get started in, I want to present, where do I go? Like, where do I find opportunities to present at conferences or meetups or other things like that? How would you, what would you recommend to people who have said to you, Michelle, I want to present, can you help me get started? <laughs> and it is, it is definitely meetups that people need to start with and you can go to meetup.com and look for your local technology meetups. Uh, obviously, in every every big city, we have a, an Azure uh, user group, which is uh, a nice, friendly community to get started with. But there are plenty of others. Um, in Perth, we have uh, Fenders, who are front-end web developers. Uh, they're a really, really friendly, diverse community. Um, what else do I like? Oh, we have a machine Perth machine learning group. That one's huge. Uh, there's a Microsoft Data Analytics group. There's, you know, quite a lot. There's a, a wide range that you can choose from. Go to them. In your first one, introduce yourself to the organizers and say it's your first user group. And then each time you go, you know, go back and say hello to them and say hello to other people in the room that you recognize. Because generally, the organizers of those user groups are Microsoft MVPs. They're also organizers of other community conferences. And so getting to know those people and being introduced to other people by them is going to help you widen your network and get to know people who can help you get started. Mm. And they're always looking for content and presenters at meetups. They are indeed always looking. And they're a friendly bunch of people. These are safe spaces. It's, I know it's easy to say, hey, it's not that scary, but you know, these people are generally hungry to hear from people, incredibly reasonable, and it's a great way to you know hone and sharpen your saw in a very safe 
space. Yeah, and everyone's a beginner at some point and so and in some technology. So if you're thinking you know, the stuff that you're going to teach them is stuff that they already know. It is unlikely that everyone in the room knows every single thing about about the Azure Cloud. You know, there are different features coming out every night. And so, yeah, try, learn something new and then teach what you have learned. And definitely there will be a lot of people in the room that are really grateful for that. There will be some that already know it, but they probably will not be annoyed they will probably enjoy hearing your take on it as well. Before I go to a conference or, or maybe it's like a, a meetup that I'm looking forward to, I will actually look at who's speaking and I will make a post on LinkedIn um, with a collage of those speakers. And I'll say, I'm really looking forward to going to this conference or meetup tonight, looking forward to seeing these speakers. I tag them in the post and say what they're speaking about and uh you know, maybe put a, a link to the meetup or the conference, uh, depending on on what it is. And then what happens is as soon as those speakers see that you have made a post about them and tagged them, they'll be happy that you have spruiked their, their, their speaking engagement. And so you can then, and, and they'll probably thank you in the post, you can then immediately send them a connection request saying, you know, you're looking forward to meeting them now and can you connect? They'll accept that because they're still delighted and flattered by that post. And then when you go to that conference or meetup, instead of waiting at the end of a long queue of people to meet that speaker, you're probably already meeting them for coffee beforehand or, you know, you're already friends in advance. So it's a, a really good way to, um, if, especially if you're, if you're quite introverted or shy, it's a really good way to make friends in advance of the conference and make friends with the experts in the field. And by being linked with those people, you also gain a little bit of credibility just by being linked to them. I think you need to be my social media manager here, Michelle. That is a great idea here. You know, it's something I don't do and a tip or a trick I will take away from this conversation. <laughs> Before we close this show off today, when you go to a conference today, not as a presenter, as an attendee, what do you look at when you go to a presentation? Are you looking for you know, the technical depth or of a session or is it more? Oh, um. Well, I suppose I, I have a quite biased view now that I've been to so many conferences and I'm so familiar with them. And it would have been a different answer if I was early in career. Um, nowadays, I look for, do I recognize any of the conference speakers? And would I like to see any of their sessions? Because generally, you know, I know who has a reputation for that one's a showy presenter, that one always starts with, you know, that one does great demos, or that one has a great story, or that one draws all their own slides. And then I, I'll go and, and watch that because of the reputation of the speaker. Um, the other thing that might interest me is um, topic. So I saw a, a really great session about Rust the other day, and then I bought the book that that speaker had written. And I, I definitely want to learn more about that language. It sounds super, super strong. Um, and so perhaps if I saw more people building stuff in Rust, I would go and see those sessions or, um, yeah, another book that I bought was on building static web apps with Blazor. And the speaker made that look really easy, really clear, really simple to do. And I thought, I can do that. So I might want to see more of those sessions on that topic as well. 
or was it a lot harder than what the speaker made up? I expect the Rust one is going to be harder than it looks, although he said he came from being a Python developer, and so that gives me hope, um, even though he says Rust is much more like a C language. Um, the static web apps with Blazor, I have a lot of hope from the book because I flipped through the book and it, it looks as clearly explained and well-documented as her session was. So I think I'm going to be able to follow it. Although, yeah, like I'm not a .NET developer and I don't do C Sharp either. So maybe it'll be harder because of my natural inclination to shy away from, from those things. <laughs> How interesting. Personally, for me these days, I love to take a look at the stage presence of a speaker. Are they engaging the audience? Are they asking rhetorical questions? Are they bringing the audience on for a journey? You know, it can't just be tech for the sake of being tech. And it's interesting to see the words that a lot of these speakers you know, purposely select, how they articulate their story to the audience here. So, Tech's important, but I think there's a lot more that goes into, you know, building a compelling presentation that people will want to watch, you know, numerous times thereafter. Yeah, definitely. That's the thing that I'm always looking to perfect. The, the tech is something that you can learn and you can follow, yeah, from a book or from a Microsoft Learn Path. But the, yeah, the how do you get people excited about it while you're on stage? How do you make it interesting for them? How do you stop people walking out of your session? Uh, <laughs> these are the things. <laughs> so, Michelle, I think it's time to close this session off. I've really enjoyed our chat today. Um, also, I'm thrilled that you'll be joining us on a regular basis. I'm really excited about it too. This has been super, super fun. And I think we're going we're gonna to have a great collaboration as we go forward. I'm looking forward to the dad jokes and diving a little bit deeper <laughs> into the technology. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I think I'm looking forward to the stories that we tell and the conversations that we have around that technology. As I mentioned earlier, we will look to make this show more regular and with Michelle on board, I know this is going to get a lot easier. So look, to summarize the show today, we spoke about what it takes to deliver a cracking session, you know, personal opinions from Michelle and I, from how, do you, from how do you structure your session through to the ninja tips about being on stage. And if you walk away with just one or two things today that you can implement, be it on the largest of stages or at your home presenting over VC, Michelle and I will be thrilled. Drop us a message. Let us know. So listeners, did today resonate with you? Tell us what you think at gctc at microsoft.com. Let us know what you want to hear more about as well. Thank you and keep on building. <laughs>